worship is, today's word is surrender. Today's word is surrender. In scripture, all throughout the Old Testament especially, worship always has to do, and is always connected to, the idea of sacrifice. In fact, I have several scripture here to, to back that up. Uh, I just chose three, because there's more. I, I, we would not have time if we talk about all those uh, verses that I'm trying to mention. But like I said, it, worship is always related to sacrifice in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. This is the story of Abraham, or Abram. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 8 says, After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord. You see, an altar is where sacrifices are laid. And like I said, all throughout Scripture, whenever you see the word worship, or whenever people do an act of worship, they always do it in front of an altar. It always has something to do with sacrifice. And, and I've been a worship leader for 10 years before becoming uh, something else. <laughs> um, but, but in my study of, of the scriptures as a worship pastor, I've, I've delved into a lot of the, the Old Testament scripture concerning worship. How do we approach God? How, how do we come to God? And, and um, this is what stands out in my study of the word worship. Always is related to sacrifice. I know sacrifice is a hard word to swallow. It's 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 a terrible pill to swallow, right? It's kind of like have you tried uh, swallowing a pill this big and without water? Sacrifice is like that. It's hard to swallow it because sacrifice always has to do with giving up, right? Something that is so precious to you. Something that is very important. And if we will relate sacrifice with worship. Pastor John, are you saying that I have to give up certain things? Are you saying that I have to give up something in order for me to be able to really worship God? The answer to that question is yes. And this is a hard pill to swallow, like I said. But we'll dive into the scripture. And, and I want this to be a, sort of like a conversational kind of preaching. So you won't hear a lot of hollering like I used to do, or I always did, but I will talk to you in a different way this morning. Um, like I said, sacrifice has something to do with letting go or giving up. The very word sacrifice, the root of it, is the word sacred, which means holy, right? Sacre, sacred, holy, sacrifice. The sacrifice is to make something holy. To make something set apart for the use of God. To sacrifice is to surrender. So worship and sacrifice are always related. The other verse that I chose, verses that I chose for you is this. Genesis chapter 22, verses 5 and 9. Again, the story of Abraham. And you'll see, as early as uh, Genesis, you will find that worship is related to sacrifice. Verse 5 says, this is Abraham speaking. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. 
We will worship there, and then we will come back. This is the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, where God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And so, verse 5 tells us that he took his servants and his son and several stuff that they need for the sacrifice and went to a place called Zion, a mountain where he, he was going to sacrifice his son. But I want you to understand and, and to under, underscore this phrase, we will worship there. We will worship there. Verse 9 says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now we can delve into that story a little deeper, maybe in the future, but just to give you, like I said, a background, I gave you already a background of it. But, but here, Abraham is being tested by God to see where, where his commitment lies. To see where, where Abraham's faith is really at. So in a way, God is saying, okay, this is a test. Well, he didn't really say it's a test, but come and sacrifice your son. Your one and only son. Now the question is, did God really need to test Abraham in terms of the son or the most precious person in his life? Did God really need a proof of Abraham's faith? Because we believe that God knows everything, right? Do you believe that? We believe that God knows everything. He is omniscient. That's the, uh, the technical word for, for a God being all-knowing. And so he knows Abraham's heart. But the test really was for Abraham, right? God did not need to know where Abraham's faith lied. But Abraham needed to know if in his heart of hearts, God is the central part of his life. God is the most important person in his life. Is he willing to give up the most precious thing he has? And like I said, it's a very, very difficult pill to swallow. Because at the end of this worship experience, you know, God might lead you to make a decision. And if God leads you to make that decision, I say, do it. Do it. First Samuel 1.3 is a story of Elkanah. It says, each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. So the very core of worship is the word surrender. The word surrender. To surrender means to relinquish possession or control to another. To submit to the power, the authority that is higher than us. Question is, in our worship, are we willing to surrender to that higher power? Are we willing to surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose name is Jesus? I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. And this is a, like a set of verses about Jesus. And it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is Jesus. He was God. But he embraced human flesh. He clothed himself with humanity. That is one of the biggest sacrifices in Scripture. One of the biggest. And it says here, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Most theologians call this portion of scripture the kenosis of Jesus. Kenosis means the emptying, the self-emptying um, act of Jesus himself. So we learn from scripture that Christ himself is the biggest illustration and example of self Sacrifice. Now, it, let me continue. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. He's not a criminal. He wasn't. He, he, was, he was God. or He is God. But he died a criminal's death. Imagine that. A holy God. According to scripture, becoming sin for us. Becoming the sacrifice for sin. Then, out of that surrender, out of... Christ's giving up of himself came the willingness to really sacrifice for God and his plan no matter what plan is called for. So surrendering to God is the very core of worship. And um, write that down if you have your sermon notes. Worship is surrender. Worship is surrender. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, meaning to surrender yourselves to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. This is truly the way to worship him. So to truly worship Jesus, to truly worship God, the Bible tells us is to surrender ourselves fully to Him. So, in the end, worship is not about how loud you sing, or how great the band sounds, or how loud the preacher shouts. Worship is about you coming before the altar of God and saying, God, I am here. I surrender myself to you. One of my favorite movies is Bruce Almighty. Have you seen that movie? Don't you just love that movie? One of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, and sort of, sort of, you know, theologically uh, misconstrued. But, but if you think about it, it's, it's amazing how even in that kind of a movie, we find at the end of his story, Bruce kneels in front of a truck coming towards him. And, and he said, I surrender to your will. Because all his life, he had always wanted to promote himself, to make himself great and better, to make himself known, to be popular, to be richer, to be, to be known throughout his city as the best 
news anchor or a news reporter, right? That was his dream. And God saw that. You know what? That's not what life is all about. Yes, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with pursuing professional success or, or wealth. There's nothing wrong with all that. But when it becomes your priority, that's where things go bad. You see, worship is surrender. Christ and your relationship with Him becoming your priority in life. And that's what we'll be talking about um, even more. Um, so, we have here two of the most dashing and good-looking people in Mosaic Church. Do you agree? They don't agree, people! Alright, so, so uh, there's JP, JP David. He will introduce himself later to you. Uh, a lot of you know him, some don't, so he will give us details on, uh, about what he is and who he is and what he does. And then we have here Jane. So, because we always believe that ladies should go first, would you like to introduce yourself, Jane? And, uh, sure. My question to them after they introduce themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. How do you prepare yourself to worship? Because like I said, you see them here leading us in singing and worship, in praise, and they do it well. They do it beautifully, but how do they prepare for it, right? So, introduce yourself and answer that question, Jane. Okay. I'm Jane. I'm um, a mother to my daughter, Kyla, um, wife to my husband, Mark. I uh, work here uh, at one of the local hotels in town. I, um, I'm the front desk manager there. I've been working there for eight years now. Um, she started in grade two. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, so eight years. 700 years ago. <laughs> eight, eight years and counting. Um, and to answer your question, Pastor John, um, how do I prepare my heart to worship God? I spend time in the mornings um, reading the Bible, um, getting into God's Word, and I do my personal devotional time, and I pray so I can get my spirit and my heart into the worship zone. Um, aside from the team's prayer huddle before we go up here or before we go to the lecture theater and lead, um, I pray spontaneously, like personally I do that. I kind of like do not stop praying in my spirit. And that's all throughout the worship experience. I pray for the preacher, I pray for you know the band, every, everybody as much as I can. And I consider it a spiritual discipline. Um, it's my expression of my total dependence on God. Um, and. It is also a ritual or a practice that I do, but not that I do that just because I want to, but it's something with a sense of purpose. Um, it's something special for me that, that I do that. So it's not just a habit or um, a normal habit or a routine that I do. It's something precious to me. And again, it's a spiritual discipline. So that's how I prepare. How about you, JP? Introduce uh, my, yourself. Hello, my name is JP David. I am the oldest out of three boys, and my dad is the biggest giant I know. His name is Alberto. Um, I love him. My mom's name is Marilyn. I, I work great currently at the Foot Locker in Lloydminster in, in the mall, and so um, that's something that I kind of like. I like kicking it with some kicks, and yeah, that's something, you know, here's, here's a confession. 
the, the best times for me when I have um, the best worship in the morning is usually when I have the worst evenings the day before. Uh, when, when things like come crashing down the night before or something like that, that's something crazy that happened. It's because I, you know, I just need to surrender that time to the Lord. But like specifically in the mornings, whenever, whenever there's nothing happening, like the night before when it's all cool. Um, I wake up in the morning, I, I make sure to listen to the songs that we are about to play um, this, this Sunday, on, on Sunday mornings. And then I try to just do vocal warm up, stuff like that. Like whatever, like that, so, something like that, like Celine, Celine Dion. My heart will go on, something like that. But, um, but I also at the same time, um, while I'm while I'm vocal warming up, and I, I'm I'm praying in, in my sh in the shower. I'm praying, God, I know I'm not worthy to to lead people because of stupid mistakes I've had in the past. But thank you for an opportunity that you've given me, and so I'm gonna try to do it with all my heart. And it's because of what you what you've done for me, and so that's what I would do. And then we'd have our team prayer after practice and stuff. I always take myself to the side, and I would say, you know, here 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 I am again, Lord. I I don't want to to, to this thing be about me. May may I just be able to lead people, everyone here in this place, to a time of worshiping the one who is worthy of the worship. That's right. That's good. Thank you. Um, you know what? There are days, you know, they were talking about preparing themselves for worship. There are days that even I, being a preacher, I sometimes I have to kick myself out of bed. <laughs> you know? So, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm your typical guy. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, I would, I would much rather, I, I'm sure you could relate with this, I would much rather stay in bed a lot longer. Right? You agree? Because you've been working all through, throughout the week for, for a lot of you. And it's, it's hard to, to drag yourself out of bed, especially teenagers, right? Teenagers. Uh, some parents will be hollering at you, hey, it's time for church, right? And uh, for me, sometimes I struggle with that. I, I, I struggle with, with waking up early in the morning. Although, like I, I mentioned in the past, it has become a habit to wake up early on a weekday. But, you know, weekends, you, you want to stay a little longer in bed, right? Um, I, I struggle with that. And, but, but praise the Lord, I get to overcome it, because I have to, I have to, I have a job to do, right? And, um, but um, when I get here, there are also times when, even though I prepared myself for whatever I was going to do, or whatever I need to be uh, performing, I, I sometimes struggle, even in the worship experience. You know, I, I'm a person who gets easily distracted, you know, um... A voice that is off tune or off key. Uh, I get headaches when I hear those things. Um, you know, uh, little things, little things. Um, even outside, when people are are preparing, and I see things that are not properly laid out, or that distracts me. And sometimes I don't vocally say that I am distracted and I am frustrated, but I sit down and I was like, oh no, they should have done something better. You know, they should have done this and that. I complain to myself, and I. I get distracted in worship, and 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 so when they start singing, I kind of quiet myself down and say, "Lord, I'm sorry. This is yours. This is your event. Get all the glory out of this." And part of that's personality, but but sometimes, you know, not sometimes. It's most of the time, our personality should be over overpowered by by the presence of the Spirit, right? And that's where. 
That's where we yield to his will. Now, I have questions for you. What are your struggles in worship? Like before you come here or when you are here, when you lead worship, what are your struggles? What do you struggle with in terms of leading? Well, as I do all this, um, you know, my preparation before I come to the worship zone, before I come to worship God, as a working mother and a wife, and um, at the same time following God on what he has called me to do, life in general is super busy for me. You know, I don't just work at home. I ju don't just work at work, my workplace. But I enjoy working here at the church, you know. Um, and all throughout the week, you know, we do the groups. We do meet up meetups with new people. Or if sometimes, uh, sometimes there's um, a member of the group that needs help in any way. Heart issues. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be there for them because I, I, I as a leader, I am accountable for, for the group members that I, that I lead. Um, so life in general is busy for me. In fact, sometimes it is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And I have the tendency to get distracted from all the responsibilities in my calling and in my commitment. And, you know, these things that require my, my attention before I worship God or before I come to worship God um, gets my focus out of hand. You know, sometimes things like last-minute needs of my daughter or there could be needs at home that requires my attention. Um, and inevitably, you know, sometimes we, uh, my husband and myself, we have little misunderstandings that we have to deal with. Um, we have to talk about it. We, we try to fix it right away or at the, before the end of the day. We try to fix it because God wants, um, you know, before the day ends, your anger. You don't carry on your anger after the day or you have to settle it. You know, these things and uh, also there could be demands of supervision at work. These situations can seize and occupy my mind big time. And I can get super distracted and that can steal my whole attention to give my best to God in worshiping him because worship for me is a lifestyle it's part of my spirit's DNA um, and while this is true for most believers this mishaps that I mentioned and you you might have your own your own dealings right in your own struggles in life these happen to me not only on Sunday mornings but you know every time I come to worship God every time I come to um, I want to come to that place in time to be with God seems like the enemy really does his very best to distract me in the best way that he can. He will do his best to shake me and distract me. And so when that happens, I am caught off guard when these crazy things in life kick in. You know, I get um, frustrated, I get rattled, I get like, oh, oh no, like God, what do I do? And at the same time, you have that responsibility to lead people to come to you, to come to worship you. So I have all those questions in mind, but, and because of that, um, I subconsciously allow myself to be susceptible to worry. I worry, uh, there's anxiety that I feel, there's fear, and more often than not, even my own imperfections in myself makes me distracted. And that makes me feel I am unworthy to even come to God, worship Him, and even lift my hands up to Him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For me, that's actually my problem whenever I'm up here. That's... Um... My struggle is not feeling like I'm worthy enough to be able to stand here, lift my hands up, you know, and, and sing to the Lord because of the many things that I've done. I was starting to tell you guys, um, when I was, okay, well, first of all, this is a confession to my dad. I know my dad. 
likes good grades, but here's a story about not Typical having good Asian grades. Father. Yeah, it was an Asian <laughs> F. But um, I was in I was in high school. I had a test the following day. It was super important, but I decided to play a game called NBA 2K14 on my Xbox and. You know, that was a great decision for me because I had a lot of fun, you know, pretending like I'm a basketball player. That's the only way I'm going to ever be playing in the basketball NBA because, you know, that's the closest, that's the closest thing I'll ever get to. But I, I decided to play that game instead of study. And so the next day I came into the test not knowing anything. I, you know, well, of course, a big shocker, you know. And yeah, that was my score at the end of the test, a 14. 2K14, that's the answer. And so, um, a 14%, and so that's what I got. It was very bad, I'm sorry, Dad. I did not tell you this, because um, suddenly my teacher asked me, because my teacher knew that I had more potential than a 14%, so she said, hey, well, what's going on? And so I said, I decided to play a game instead of, you know, study, and yeah, I deserve this mark. And she said, well, here, Take this rewrite, but I want you to do this. Make sure you, you get it. Make sure, you're sm make sure you're smarten up. Don't make the stupid mistakes again. At that point, I felt very, uh, what do you call it, unworthy of that test because I deserve the 14, right? After doing all that, you kids can, you kids can uh, what do you call it, relate to, to that. Playing basketball or doing something before a test and then getting a bad mark and stuff like that. But, you know, I didn't feel like I was worthy and so, um, I just said, no, I don't, I don't deserve it. My teacher said, no, I want you to do it because I see potential in you. I see, I see something that is bigger than just the 14%. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take this, this part. And so I have a question, another question for you guys. So have you guys ever felt like, you know, you weren't worthy for something? You felt like there's a time in your life where you do not deserve what you're getting, but still, you know, are given the opportunity to take it. Who has ever felt that way? couple people, everyone's worthy, and so, um, but yeah, that's, that was a struggle in my life, and actually, the feeling of unworthiness is not, it's not rare in our lives, it's actually a part of our DNA, to be honest, and to, to, uh, to show you guys, the reason is because um, the Latin word for human and humility is called, is humus, which means dirt, so we're human, and the Latin word for for human is humus, which means dirt. So that at the end of the day, when, when everything started in Genesis 2-7, it says, then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, which is the dirt, right? So compared to God, we are dirt. We are not worthy of it. And so that's why it's normal for us to feel that way, actually. It's not a big shocker for us. Um, there's nothing in this world that we can do to make, like us as humans, to, to make us worthy to him. And I have an analogy to tell. It's, you know, have you guys ever been to, I've been invited to a party and like this party is like really formal. Everyone's like wearing nice tuxedos, but you're not, you didn't get the memo. So you show up to a party and you're like, I'm in my boxers and then in my t-shirt in the back there's some like dried up rice and then there's like ketchup and gravy all over my shirt and then there's this big guy with a nice tux who, who has the party and he looks down at you and well I don't know how would you feel that way I think of it like this like God is the guy with a big tuxedo and I'm the guy who's trashy trashy boxer guy and 
you know, I do not feel worthy at that point. I don't deserve being at that party because I ruined it for everyone. And, you know, um, at that moment, like, it would feel awful. There are days, there are so many days in my life where I just feel so unworthy, so unclean, so dirty. And it's so hard for me to even pray that day. Like, that's, that's crazy. For me, for you to be able not to pray because that's unworthy, like, I mean, yeah. that's something I struggle with sometimes, right? And a lot of us probably struggle with that too, right? Like, we, we come to church, we have dragged ourselves to church, or maybe there was an argument with your wife or somebody, right? And you come to worship, and you feel unworthy. So you, you feel like, I, I really can't sing, I can't lift my hands, I can't pray, uh, just because I feel unworthy. And I like what JP said, how that is actually normal. To feel unworthy in the presence of God is normal. And I like how he pointed out why. Because we're human beings. We know where we fail. We know that we are unworthy to really approach God. Uh, because we know that in worship, worshiping is coming into the presence of God and, and laying ourselves before Him, right? And, and how do you lay yourself down on the altar of worship? When you feel unworthy, when you are not prepared for it, when you, right? Uh, and so, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with that feeling of unworthiness? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a story in the Bible. His name, uh, there's a guy in the Bible, and he has a story. His name's Isaiah. He's a prophet, and he had an encounter with, with the presence of God, and he felt the same way as, as I was feeling. Um, in Isaiah 6, 2-5, it says here, Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. Uh, verse 3 says, And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah speaking. I am, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among, among people who have unclean lips. And, the, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord, uh, the Lord Almighty. And so this is Isaiah we're talking about. He's a prophet. He's a holy man. But why does he feel that way? It's because at the end of the day, he's human. He knows he doesn't, he's not worthy of it. You know, he cries out, woe to me. He confesses that he's a man of unclean lips. When he's approached, uh, when he approached the presence of God, he humbled himself, pro probably brought himself down, you know, probably brought himself down to the ground. He was scared to be there because he knew that he wasn't worthy to even be in the, the altar of, of Christ. And so uh, being on stage here does not mean all of us who does not mean we're perfect, you know, it does not mean we do not struggle with anything. It does not mean that we're mortal and we cannot be tempted. There's so many times on this stage where I feel like God should just, you know, zap me down like, JP, right? And, and I'd be okay with it because I know I'm not worthy, right? And, but then why not? Why hasn't he done that to me? You know, there's nothing that I can do as a person to, to make me look good to God because of all the things that I've done in the past. And who, who could feel that same? Like, you guys, I bet you guys would feel the same way as, as me in that, in that situation. But you guys believe that God is good, right? He is good. He is good. That's, that's just the truth. And so, um, that's why God took initiative and He made a way. He made a way for, for everyone. And in, in Isaiah's case, in six, Isaiah 6, 67, it says, Then one of the seraphims flew to me with live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. 
Uh, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So in, our, so in his case, you know, God made a way by the angels uh, for the angels to come down and touch his lip and forgive him for everything that he's done. And what for us, like, I mean, we don't see any angels with, with flying around tongs and in our mouth. But Jesus, God, God sent Jesus as a plan B for all of us. And that's the that's a, that's a story, and it's really cool to how God did not give up on people, even though we failed Him. Right. So I like that story that JP just mentioned. Isaiah coming into the presence of God and feeling unworthy, and he said, "Woe to me!" That means I'm I'm done. I'll be dead because I cannot enter the presence of God and live on. But it was God Himself who extended mercy towards Isaiah. What did He do? He touched his an angel took a coal from the altar and then touched his lips with it. And the angel said, your sins have been atoned for. You have been forgiven. You see, when you come into the presence of God, you do see your, yourself as unworthy. But you also must see that you are in the presence of God already. How is that possible? It is because of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross made you worthy. His worthiness, His worth is now your worth. And so when God looks at you, He sees the perfection of Jesus in you. And therefore you can come into His presence. In fact, um, first, uh, you have a verse in, in Ephesians, right? In you, right. Yeah. Um, Ephesians 3.12, it says, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, we look back at what God, what Christ has done, um, and we celebrate the miracle of Easter. Let us also look at the benefits we now have when we have Christ. And so if you have Christ in your life, you do not have to feel unworthy. You can have that confidence. Even though you're not, you know, at the end of the day, you feel unworthy. When Christ has, when you have Christ in your life, God doesn't look at your faults, doesn't look at your guilt, your mistakes. He looks at Christ because he's dwelling in you. And that's why Ephesians 3.12 is such an important verse in the Bible. In humble confidence... We can approach the Spirit of God and seek His love and forgiveness. We can enter His holy presence and worship Him even when we make mistakes, even when we fail. Uh, Pastor John once told this analogy to me and to, to, the, to the team, and it said, um, if the sky was paper and the ink was the sea, and we try to measure God's love by writing about it in the sky, the ocean would run dry, which is pretty powerful. That's, there's not enough ink in the sea to even write about God's love for, for you and for me. And like, you know, he doesn't care about the mistakes that you made when you yelled at your children for something or when, when I made a mistake in high school or when you said to something dishonoring to a friend. Like, he doesn't look at that anymore when you have Christ in you. He looks at, he, he wants, he cares about you and he wants you to trust him and to believe that in him you're a new creation and that's the, at the end of the day, what, that's what's important. That's how I get to stand here. Not because I'm worthy, but because I know I have Christ in me. And He's worthy. What JP just mentioned is the difference between truth and reality. Is there a difference? Truth and reality can, can be two different things. You see, for us, reality, for a lot of us, is based on our feelings, right? Do you agree? And, and, and sometimes we feel unworthy. And that, that to us becomes reality. But the Bible tells us of the truth that when we are in Christ, we are forgiven and therefore we can approach His presence 
boldly and confidently. I love how, how St. Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. Verse 5 says, It is not that we think that we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Isn't that great? And therefore, you can approach God and say, Lord, here I am. Just like Isaiah said in, in Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am. Use me. Here I am. Send me. You are able to come into the presence of God with confidence based on your faith in Jesus Christ. And um, he, JP talked about the hindrance of the feeling of unworthiness. But we will address that. Whenever you feel that way, address that sort of feeling by recounting the truth in your life. And the truth is you are forgiven. Amen. And Jane talked about distraction. And uh, do you have anything to add about the distraction? How do you address this distraction? Yeah. Um, there are a handful of circumstances in our lives that contribute to distractions. And I know you can relate to this. Let me ask you, have you ever had that feeling of um, being fearful? Yes, being doubtful, being anxious. Um, did you ever have problems? Course, yes. Everybody does, right? See, all of us experience these things. We feel shaken and we lose target. We, we feel shaken when we lose target. Um, problems in different areas in the course of our lives also adds up to disruption of our focus. I remember a story of Thomas in the book of John. Um, Thomas could not believe that Jesus, that Jesus had risen from the dead after the other disciples had told him that they have seen the Lord. It was all too much for him. It was too overwhelming. Like, what? What are you saying that Jesus has risen from the dead? What he wanted, what Thomas wanted, was a physical proof that Jesus did rise from the grave. Uh, Thomas said in John chapter 20, verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So until, until he sees Jesus and touches the, the, uh, the scarred uh, hands and on, this, on Jesus' side. So a week later, after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples gathered again in a house, and so Thomas was, was there with them that time. And though the doors at that house that they were in were locked, Jesus appeared to them. Um, so when Thomas saw Jesus, he could not believe his eyes. And what, Jesus, what did Jesus tell him that time? Jesus told Thomas, stop doubting and believe. So that incident labeled him, labeled Thomas, as Doubting Thomas. And he's not alone because many Christians have doubts at one time or another. Many of us would love to have confirmations first before we believe in something. And we, we talked about the word anxiety. I mentioned that a while ago. So the word anxiety or worry. Um, so anxiety, I find this word fascinating. Um, the word anxiety came from a Greek term, Merimnao. It is a combination of two smaller words. First one is meritso, meaning to divide, and nos, meaning the mind. In other words, a person who is anxious or worried suffers from a divided mind, leaving that person distracted. So if you are worried, you are, um, what does it say here? You suffer from a divided mind. Your mind is divided. You lose focus. You are, you are not on track. You, you have that um, in, in your mind. And in connection to worry or anxiety, there is a practical story in Luke chapter 10, verses 
38 to 42, about Martha and Mary. Um, Jesus and his disciples came to a village where Martha opened her home. Martha's sister Mary was so pleased to have the Lord visit their home and that and she sat with him. So when, Mary, when Jesus visited Mary and Martha's house, um, Mary didn't do anything but just sat at the feet of the Lord and just listened to what he was saying. That's all what she did. And um, Martha, sorry, uh, Luke, uh, as Luke tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, in, in this story, uh, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing, but Martha didn't have any help, and that made her irritated, exasperated, and angry. When she reached her boiling point, everything led to blame. She said to Jesus, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that I do all the work while my sister is not doing anything? Um, tell her to come and help me. That's what Martha said. But Jesus was neither impressed by her busyness nor intimidated by her command. But what he said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by, about so many things. But only a few things are necessary. Really, only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And we can find that in uh, verses 41 and 42. So I, I believe we can all relate to Martha because we do love to complicate things. You know, you just, you just, this is just simple thing that is um, being asked of us to do, but we kind of like overdo it and overthink it. And see, uh, doubt, just like what Thomas um, had felt, doubt and faith don't mix. And so is worry and faith. They just don't go together. Worry occurs when we assume responsibility for things that are outside our control. And I love the Lord's solution to Martha's, to Martha's rant. He said, only a few things are necessary. Only a few things are important. Really, only one. So it's such a classic example of simple faith. Um, and I have just uh, some passage here that I want to read to you. If you have your Bibles, please turn it to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We read there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's a, it has been said in the scriptures to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So for a moment, I, I just want you to picture in your minds an athlete that would compete in a race. This athlete would strip away every piece of unnecessary clothing before competing in the race. The, that athlete would wear the lightest sports attire and the lightest weighing um, um, uh, running shoes, almost like he's not carrying anything. He's not carrying uh, anything so he could run as fast as he can. And so now let's look into ourselves and relate to that analogy. Are we, are we an athlete that's got lots of that's carrying lots of unnecessary things when we go to the, ra the race of, when we run to the race of life? Are these things um, that, uh, what are these things that hinder us to give our all to God? What are these things? Is it worry? Is it unbelief? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Um, or would it be a sin or some secret sins that easily ensnares you to stop coming to God? You know what JP was saying, you feel unworthy. When you, you have that sin and secret sins in your heart, that stops you there. Like, you, you have that feeling of like, no, I'm not worthy. And if these things easily catch us up on you, we are directed by the word of God to throw off everything. Throw it off. Take it. 
the, those are unnecessary, take it off, um, throw it off. So anything that hinders or blocks the way for the spirit to work in our lives, um, let's throw, throw them off. And we do not want the enemy to see any open door or any opportunity to, uh, for him to have a grip on us. See, when Thomas doubted, Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. When Martha was too busy doing her preparations, Jesus said, um, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. So let us not make things complicated by overthinking it and overworking it. But let us, um, um, we're not saying that we cannot come to God because we have these baggages. What, what God wants is for us to come to him with this and offer it and lay it down at his feet. I love what you said about that. It isn't powerful. Woman preacher, right? <laughs> and a young preacher here too. Um, it, it's amazing how how these two are able to, to teach us on worship. And and truly, there are so many things that could hinder us from, from worshiping. A feeling of unworthiness, so many distractions, worry, doubt, maybe something you've done in the past, maybe something that you cannot let go of Right? Those, these things. I love what Jane said. It's not that you, you leave that behind, because you do carry that with you, right? But when you come into the presence of God, God wants your burdens to be taken off your backs. You see, that's one of the benefits of worship. When you surrender yourself to God. He, he, even Jesus said, you know, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. If you come to worship or, or wherever you're at in life and you're just sick and tired of carrying these baggages that you have been dragging um, behind you for the longest time, worship is a place where you can lay these down before God and say, Lord, these are yours. I want to be free from these. I belong to you. The problem with the living sacrifice, you know, in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, verse 1, you know, living sacrifice, present yourselves as living sacrifice. The problem with that is a living sacrifice always tries to crawl off the altar, right? And we have that tendency. We have the tendency to go back to the past, to our worries, to our cares, when in fact we can just lay them there and just say, God, it's all yours. And in worship, that's what God is wanting us to do. Lay before God everything that hinders you, everything that you carry with you. Whether it's a feeling of unworthiness, or doubt, or distractions. See, another thing that hinders us from really worshiping God is pride, right? I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to carry these things. I can, I can put a mask on and, and show people that I'm okay, but I'm really not. See, in worship, you can take that mask off and say, it's really, you don't need it. Because God sees the inside. In fact, the Bible tells us that God, man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. He sees your heart. He sees your burdens. And at the end of the day, like I said, it's not about how long the sermon is or how beautiful the songs are. It's about you and Jesus having an encounter. It's about you laying yourself bare before the throne of God and saying, Lord, I am yours. In England, in the 1990s, there was this pastor uh, named Mike Pilavachi or Pivalachi, um, and he, he's a pastor of a church called Soul, Soul Survivor. 
their church was really, really focused on worship and, and, and rocking it out. They, they love loud music. They love making programs. And, and at the end of the day, whenever they would evaluate their worship experience, they would evaluate in terms of how well the music was played and how loud the music was and how great the voices were. And they graded themselves that way. And the pastor was struck by the truth that worship is not about that. Worship is about offering yourself to God, going into the heart of worship, who is Jesus. And so that pastor said, from now on, and maybe for the next several weeks, we will not have music in our church. Our band will not play because we, we don't want to grade ourselves and our worship based on our performance. After they have learned their lesson, their worship leader stood up and he said, I wrote a song about it. And our team will be coming to lead us in that song. It's called The Heart of Worship. Who knows that song?